James chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again. The heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Amen. I hope that as we open the word of God this morning that you understand it, that you believe it, and that you also trust it, that you can find yourself in a place where you can give your life over to God through his word. The meaning of these words from the book of James, I believe, are summed up well from Proverbs chapter 15, verse 29. It says, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. He hears the prayer of the righteous. It is a marvelous thing. Prayer has a bearing on the will of God. It has a bearing on the will of God when it arrives in heaven from people who have a regard for the will of God on earth. There is a connection between the way prayer is heard by God and the way that we live our lives before God and before one another. That does not mean that we must live perfectly before God will hear our prayers, but it does mean that we must live mindful and in submission to the will of God. The Apostle Peter uses the phrase when he speaks to his church about being sober-minded. He says, for the sake of your prayers. So there's a connection that that the scripture makes very, very clearly, and the blessedness of God hearing our prayers, and yet the responsibility of the way in which we pray. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. In this whole section that we've been looking at in the book of James in chapter 5, beginning with, uh, is anybody uh, suffering? Let them pray. Uh, James has been expounding to the church something of the will of God, that the will of God would be in their mind. And I think that this is what the main point of this particular text is this morning, chapters 5, verses 16 through 18, that God has revealed to his people enough knowledge of of God's will, a sufficient grasp of his will to live it, in other words, to, to humbly confess our sins and to pray it, In other words, to to lay hold of the things that God has promised to us and then to expect it like Elijah also expected the word of God to come true. Let me open up for you very briefly the, the progression of the text as it was read verses 16 through 18 this morning. It addresses people who are righteous, and those righteous people are identified. It's not left vague in James' mind who these righteous people that are praying or the prayer of the righteous person. It's not left vague or left to our imagination about what that righteousness is. It is described, they are described as people who confess their sins to one another and pray that the open wounds of, of sin would, that is between them would be healed. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And then 
What hope or what confidence do these sin confessors have that they will receive the healing that they pray for? And James assures them that that prayer works, that prayer is powerful, that those righteous ones who are confessing their sins and praying for one another, that those prayers arrive in God, arrive in heaven powerfully because God has regard for them. James doesn't write a blank check on heaven for the church, but he says the same thing really that all of the rest of the Bible says about prayer. That if we will humble ourselves, that God will hear us. Moses described heaven to be as brass for those who do not regard the will of God. But heaven as open, as heaven as desiring to hear the prayers of those who have regard for the will of God. And in this context, that regard for the will of God is demonstrated by the confessing of sins to one another. And then there is an encouragement as he gives an Old Testament example of Elijah the prophet. Elijah was not a great man necessarily, but he was a man who understood and prayed the will of a great God. James says he was a man of similar and like passions like we have. And uh, Paul says the same thing in Acts chapter 14 when he throws off a serpent and the people are ready to sacrifice to him as a God. And he says, I, I'm, I'm just a man of similar passions like you. Peter says to the, the same thing in Acts chapter 3 when people marvel at his raising up of the layman. He says, do you think that by my own piety or by my own power I've raised this man up? It has nothing to do with me. And so also James is not looking to Elijah in particular, but to the God of Elijah. Not Elijah as a great man, but Elijah who prayed to and depended on the will of a great God. I've grown up hearing these words from James. In fact, I often would hear it in the King James language. It's a wonderful heritage that I have in hearing the the scripture quoted in my home and the places where I, I lived and at church. And the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But hearing that prayer makes me mindful of how often dangerous it can be to be quoting scripture when it's not understood in its context. I found it very intimidating and I actually found the text to be something that repulsed me from prayer because I had no way of understanding myself anywhere close to being a righteous person. And I thought that prayer was for a small elite group who who prayed because they were righteous and God heard them because he understood them or saw them to be righteous enough. And if we weren't righteous enough, that God would not hear our prayers. And the example of Elijah didn't really help. I didn't consider myself ever to be one who hung out in the company of Elijah. I knew enough about Elijah to know that he raised the dead. I knew that he yelled at the Jordan to stop the river from flowing. And I knew that he ascended into God, to God in a chariot of fire. And all of that I found very, very intimidating. And so, as I say, it makes me mindful of how Scripture is a, is a powerful tool. But like any powerful tool, it can be used very effectively and wonderfully, or it can be used very, very dangerously and damagingly. And so the way of using the Scripture, of course, when we memorize it, is to make sure that we understand it and memorize it in its proper context. And the context here has helped me greatly to understand in this context that the righteous are not those who have no sin to confess. The righteous are those who know that they have sin and they confess it. That's what the righteous are here. Those who know that they have sin and they confess it. 
I can do that. I can find myself in that particular text. James is talking about simple, everyday, ordinary Christians. Not superheroes, just Christians like you and me, but who understand enough of the will of God to walk in this kind of righteousness, to forsake our sin, to confess our sin, to know it when we sin, and to seek to be healed of it. And so an outline of the text would go something like this, that James shows the life of the righteous is one of confession. The privilege of the righteous is one of prayer. An example of the righteous is found in Elijah. It's kind of the who, the why, and the what. Who prays? It's the sin confessors. Why do they pray? They pray because prayer works. And what do they pray? Well, that's what the example of Elijah is all about. What is the substance and matter of our prayer? Let's look first at the, at the who of the prayer, the demonstration of righteousness, the humbling of oneself and the confession of sin. Confession of sin reconciles God's people and heals the wound that are opened by sin. Proverbs says, Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. What is James imagining when he tells them to confess their sins and to pray for one another? I think the key words are in that phrase, to one another. It's not a gathering of God's people where people are gathered and say, okay, this evening we're going to confess our sins and tell one another what our sins are. Rather, in the phrase to one another, I believe that he has in mind that the sins that are against one another. You confess your sins to one another because those sins have been against one another. Those sins have wounded the body. Those are the things from which they need to pray. The open wounds of sin that exist one another. Sin is a disease in the body of Christ. And the sins that we have against one another are sins that we need to pray for God's healing, for forgiveness between one another, and for reconciliation between one another. That's what righteousness people do. That is a comprehending of the will of God, of those who have been made righteous by the tremendous gift of God, given the gift of righteousness, who then become slaves to that very same righteousness in their character, in their conduct, in the way that they live one another with Jesus Christ as our head. This is a body, James has made very clear through the five chapters of the book, this is a body that has sinned against each other. This is a body that have need for confession of sin to one another, seeing particularly the natural enmity that has existed between the rich and the poor and the partiality that has existed between people, the natural prejudices that, that have existed between God's people as they're gathered in from all of the different walks and places of the world. They have that natural enmity and ways in which they are jealous of one another, show partiality towards one another. Chapter 4 opens up with stop your quarreling, stop your fighting amongst one another. It hinders your prayers. There are jealousies that have existed between each other. And chapter 4 also has indicated that there are, or chapter 5 rather, indicated that there's also been injustices that have been, been born between them. 
And this kind of humble confession of sin is also an example of what James has said about possessing faith. Remember back in chapter 2, James says, Show me your faith without works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. That faith must have works that accompany it. A real and a living faith must have works. Faith without works is dead faith. And so also, this is a great example of that. Do you, by faith, believe that God has forgiven you? Do you believe that God has reconciled you to himself by his great mercies in Christ? Then demonstrate that faith. Show the works of that faith by humbling yourself, confessing your sins to one another, praying for one another that you might be healed. James speaks of prayer in in this way, in, in this context, to show very clearly that we are not to use prayer to rule God. But rather we use prayer to be ruled by God. God is shown to be ruling in the midst of his people. When we understand his will well enough to confess our sins to one another, to seek reconciliation from one another, to humble ourselves before one another and before God. This is a description of righteousness in the text. The biblical pattern for confession of sin is significant. When we speak of confession of sin, it is a, a real area of vulnerability in God's people, of those who, who confess their sins and of those to whom those sins are confessed that there be a humility in those that express and confess their sins and that there be a love and a a forgiveness without gossip or without condemnation, a trust that exists between God's people. But very generally in the scripture, there is a biblical pattern for the confession of sin. And it is simply this, that the arena of, of sin is the same arena in which there is confession. In other words, it confessed in the place where you have sinned. Have you sinned against God secretly? Then confess your sins to God. Have you sinned against another person? Then go to that person and confess your sins. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, if you're on your way to give your gift at the altar and you remember that somebody has something against you, he doesn't say, well, go tell the church. There's somebody who has something against me. No, he says, go to that person and seek reconciliation, seek forgiveness from them in this time of isolation and people are home more than they are perhaps you've been doing some activities perhaps you've even been using the kitchen table for something that it wasn't designed for perhaps a project or arts and crafts or a wood project or a a repotting project and then imagine if you just left away went away and left the kitchen table in all of that mess and you went somewhere got distracted and went out and you got a text message that said fix your mess you wouldn't ask well where should I go to fix my mess you would know that you, in order to fix your mess, you go to the place where you made the mess. And so it is with the confession of sin. Go to the place where you have made the mess by your sinning and to confess it before God and make it right. It leads to a very significant question in the body of Christ when James says to confess your sins one to another, humble yourselves before one another, and to pray for, for one another And the question is this, do you know how to be reconciled to people that you have sinned against? Do you know what it is to humble yourself and 
and know when there is an open wound and know what righteousness looks like, know how the righteous act and think when it comes to sin that exists between people in the body of Christ. Think what a sad paradox or irony it is when the people of God gather and the body of Christ gathers together and we, we worship God, we sing to God, we hear the word of God. And what do we worship God for? That he has forgiven our sins, that he's been merciful to us, that we've been reconciled to God. And what a, a tragedy is when these reconciled people stand in the midst of one another unreconciled with open wounds that exist between one another. And so husbands and wives, do you know how to be reconciled one to another? When you have offended one another, parents and children, do you know how to be reconciled to one another? Do you know how to go into the place where you have offended and to ask for forgiveness, to say, I am sorry, this is what I have done? Deacons and elders in a church where there is division or if and when there is division, when there's conflict, when there's anything that, that has existed between people in the church, do you know how to confess your sin, to pray for one another, to be forgiven, and to be reconciled. We've been, I've noticed in the community, sometimes it seems like people are under a lot of stress. They've got more time on their hands than they want. They're perhaps a lot of different things that are, are bringing stress. They're not happy with the way things are in the world or in the government or in the schools or in their home or in their life or at the workplace. There just generally can be a lot of stress and it's, it, it can lead to offenses between people. The ways that you've made the lives of other people miserable by your words, by, by the way that you've behaved yourself. And it's significant as Christian people that we know how to go into the same place that we have offended to confess our sins and to ask for forgiveness. Sin hinders our prayers. Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Psalm 28.10 says, If anyone turns... If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Isaiah 1.15 says, When you spread out your hand, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. To these sin confessors, seeking to be healed and reconciled, showing their desire for what is right before God, James has an incredible thing to say about prayer. He says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This isn't the will or the it is this isn't proud people bending God to their will. This is people who are humbled before God being bent to God's will. Be careful how you think about prayer and your desire to influence heaven. Do you really want to live in a world that is bent to your will? <laughs> I know I wouldn't want to live in a world that was bent to my will. The whole purpose of, of seeking and living to, to live according to the way that God has shown us what righteousness is all about is not to bend God to the way things that we want or the way that we want the world to be around us, but is to submit to ourselves to the God who knows best how things ought to be and will be around us. My wisdom would run out very, very quickly if I could go to heaven and say, this is the way that the world should be. This is an example of prayer, prayer being effective, prayer being powerful in heaven. It is an example 
of a merciful God. Psalm 138, verse 6 says, The Lord is on high. He is on high, but he has regard for the lowly. It is a wondrous thing. But there is such a thing as praying rightly. And it has nothing to do with our tone of voice. It has nothing to do with our posture. It has nothing to do with having the right vocabulary. It doesn't take on a, a particular affectation of a particular way or, or look in the ways that we pray. But rather, praying rightly is when there's evidence of the gospel. Evidence of the gospel thriving in us. Prayers are powerful in heaven when heaven is powerful on earth in us through Christ. And so James says, take prayer seriously. Prayer is powerful. Prayer works. Prayer is a cosmic thing. It is a, it is a thing beyond my comprehension that makes God imaginably greater than what I can think of to think that, that our prayers ascend into the, the throne place of God where God rules and governs and where his will and secret counsel knows and ordains all things and he chooses there to intermingle with it my prayers I, I can't say that I understand it but I wish to obey it and hear the word of the Lord the promise the encouragement to me that God hears prayers don't take prayer lightly prayers are not meant to be tossed like biscuits to heaven, to a treat-starved God. God is not simply happy that we pray. He is happy that we use prayer. That, and that's what we do. We, we use prayer. We don't believe in prayer. We believe in God, and we use prayer to get to the God that we believe in, to get to the God that we trust in. And God is happy. God is pleased when we seek from him the things that we most need through prayer and that is to be healed for our sins to be forgiven for us to be reconciled one to another and all through the text we can see that God is pleased when the the distressed call out to him in prayer when the joyful call out to him in song when the weak and the ill call out to God through the elders in prayer and there's a prayer of faith that depends upon and submits itself to the will of God Prayer is powerful and effective when God's truth is living powerfully and effectively in us. A demonstration of righteousness, not self-righteousness. And we don't become righteous by praying. If you pray, and I hope you do, don't think that you become righteous in your praying. But those who demonstrate righteousness in their lives, clearly apprehending something of the will of God for us. God is pleased that we pray to him and look to him in expectation. To illustrate what he is saying about prayer, James uses the example of Elijah. Again, this isn't meant to intimidate of, of bringing up the subject of Elijah, who was clearly a man used greatly by God, but it is meant to encourage. And in order to understand how James intends encouragement by the example of Elijah, we don't look to the book of 1 Kings, which the book of 1 Kings, verses uh, chapters 16 through the rest of the book, show the story of Elijah and all the remarkable things that he did, including calling down fire from heaven and shutting up the heavens from rain. But we instead, we look to the book of Deuteronomy. 
And the significant thing is this, is that Elijah prayed about rain. And rain was a very clear thing that was identified by Moses. Many generations before Elijah, identified by Moses as a clear and specific part of how God revealed that he would deal with Israel. Elijah knew this by understanding something of the will of God through Moses. He had the words of Moses. He had the mind of God through Moses. And in his prayer for the rain to be shut up and for the rains to come, he was praying the will of God as revealed on the mountain of God to Moses. All of Israel knew this. They knew that, that God's holding of, withholding of the rain and the giving of the rain was God's covenant blessings and, and, and curses upon Israel as a nation. Elijah was a man who lived, who by faith and obedience asked God to do the very thing that God had promised to do. God had promised to shut up the heavens when they turned to idolatry. God had promised to open up the heavens and bless them with rain when they heard the word of the Lord and heeded God's word. So that's very significant and I hope quite simple to understand. And I hope that you get it. That Elijah prayed to lay hold of what God had given through Moses. Okay? Now, we're New Testament Christians. The law was given through Moses. Salvation is given in Jesus Christ. As New Testament Christians, we pray to lay hold of what God has given us, not in Moses, but in Christ. And that's why it is important, as Paul says, for us to, to have the mind of Christ, to know something of God's will for us. What has God said about us? What has God ordained and decreed to give to us in Christ? And it's important that we know the will of God for us in Christ, just as Elijah knew the will and mind of God for Israel in Moses. What is the will of God for us in Christ? What is the mind of God for us in Christ? How do we pray for what God has decreed to give us in Christ. Well, it's the very thing that sin confessors need. It's the very thing that, that distressed people need. It's the very thing that joyful people need. It's the very thing that weak and ill and weary people need. We need God's blessing. Specifically, in the confession of sin, we need God's healing. We need God's forgiveness. We need God's reconciliation. I believe that Elijah gives us not only the manner of prayer, which was with fervency and with faithfulness to God and also calling upon Israel for repentance. That is the manner in which Elijah prayed. But also I believe that James specifically speaks of Elijah because of the example of the substance of prayer. He speaks of rain. Rain is used all through the Bible to speak of God's mercy and God's blessing. It's a tremendously rich Bible study. I won't go through all of the texts right now, but if you were to go through the Bible and simply to look up the word rain, you would see how God uses that one single word all through the Bible as a metaphor for all of his blessings, all of his mercy, how he, he takes the moisture from the earth, the water from the earth, and he puts it in the heavens, and he sprinkles the earth with it to seek God, to have and possess God's blessing. Psalm 65 verse 9 says, You visit the earth and you water it. You greatly enrich the river of God is full of water. And this is what the suffering need. 
They need the rain. They need the, the rain of God's blessing. This is what the, the joyful need. They need to be affirmed in God's goodness. This is what the, the weak and the ill, the weary need. They need God's enrichment. They need God's blessing. Jeremiah 14 says, in mocking of their false gods, says, can your false gods give you rain? Can, can idols, your, your silly idols, can they, can they give you the thing that you most need? See, that, that's what rain is, is all about in, in the scripture, that, that God possesses, that God is the one who gives the thing that we most need for our life and our thriving in our souls and in our bodies. Zechariah chapter 10, verse 1 says, ask for the rain. Ask for the rain. God will give it to you. Ask for it. And God is glorified when we know something of his will for us, as Elijah did. And we ask for it. And of course, you're probably familiar with Isaiah chapter 55. It says, as the rains water the earth and accomplish the things for which God sent it, so also the word of God will accomplish the purpose for which it is sent. May God help us to grasp the, the will of God as the body of Christ and to pray the will of God to God and to expect the will of of God in our lives. Would you please pray with me? Lord, thank you for your many, many mercies. And I pray that, that the word of God would be helpful and understood and encouraging in our lives. Thank you for your great sovereign majesty in heaven and your throne rules over all things. Lord, we are humbled that you would seek our prayers, our petitions. And Lord, may we do so with fervency. May we do so with earnesty, seeking your will for us. May we do so humbly. And may the life of our body between one another demonstrate that we know something of the will of God in our lives between one another. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.